Father, thank you so much for your love. Father, we approach your mighty throne, the God of the universe. You listen to your children because we're your children. We're adopted into your family because of faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not because we're good, not because we're American, not because we're white, not because anything, not because we want it or, or feel like we need it. Lord, only by what your son did can we come into your presence this morning and thank you and praise you and love you. Lord, you're so good. And Lord, we pray that your word would speak to us, give us guidance and clarity. Lord, change us. In your name we pray, amen. Today's Bible study is called Think Jesus. Think Jesus. We've been studying the book of Philippians now for several weeks, a little while, maybe getting creeping up on a year almost maybe. But um, we've been having all these thinking lessons and how to think this way and how to think that way. And, and today is kind of the culmination, the, the pinnacle or the climax of all of our Bible studies. If we were to read the entire book of Philippians in one setting, which I do fairly often and, and we all should, but it, it, it goes through all these different ways to think and then it gets to this final what we're going to read today, these couple verses, where he just kind of lays out a few things, but everything we're going to see is focused on Jesus. So Think Jesus is the title of our message today. I'm going to read you a Calvin quote. Whoa, Calvin quote, Calvin quote. Usually we do Spurgeon quotes, but today's a Calvin quote. But I'm going to start you off with it. It's a really good quote. He says, For nothing is more opposed to the spiritual wisdom of God than the wisdom of the flesh. And nothing is more opposed to his grace than man's natural ability. Oh, that guy knew what he's talking about. He said there's this argument, there's a difference, there's a battle between the spiritual wisdom of God and, and the wisdom of flesh, between God's grace, the, what he wants to do, and, and your natural abilities. Well, there is this argument in here today, but there doesn't need to be an argument. We can end it today, this argument. Some would say, do not argue with an idiot he will drag you down to his level and then beat you with experience. <laughs> but unfortunately, we're not arguing with someone else. The argument that we're talking about today is within us. So we are the idiots. <laughs> and we're not at the same time. I don't want you to say, my pastor called me an idiot. But unfortunately... <laughs> This is the flesh versus the spirit. Man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Natural ability versus grace. Who you are without the Holy Spirit versus who you are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Evil versus good. We should have some epic theme music happening right now. Well, what does Jesus have for us today? He has victory for us. He can end the debate. He can close out the argument. He can silence the idiots. 
we are going to end the arguments today. We are going to choose a side. We are going to draw the line in the sand, and we are going to know how to avoid the rising up of the flesh or the idiot inside us. You know that guy. That guy that says, no one will ever find out. That guy inside that says, I will be able to stop in time. The guy that says, I just need some for myself. The guy that says, this is not fair to me. The guy that says, what's wrong with a little, a little on the side? You know that guy. I know that guy. I live with that guy. I am that guy. My flesh is evil. My heart is corrupted. And I love the freedom that comes from confessing that. It's wonderful to confess it because Jesus loved me anyway. Even though I am this corrupt guy, even though I have born in sin and Jesus died to take away my sin. He, he loved me before I did anything right. He said, I will be your victory. You don't have to do anything. I love you right now, even though you're a goober. Now we all wonder, okay, okay. Why didn't Jesus just take away our flesh after we get saved so that we don't have this struggle? I mean, that seems like the best idea. I, I mean, God, let me help you out. Maybe you didn't think about this, but just make us perfect when we get saved. Then we can just be in the world and never do anything wrong. Why didn't Jesus do that? Well, simple answer. Because then you would have to die. Because the flesh is attached to your body. It's in your DNA that you got from Adam. Not only did you get this body from Adam, each one of you is descended from Adam. So all of us got our DNA from Adam. So not only did that DNA go through all the generations to you, but the sin did also. And so for the sin to go away in your flesh would mean you would have to die. It's a sinfulness that will be here in your heart until your heart stops beating. But Jesus offers something better than you dying right now. He likes you, have, you being alive. He wants to use you. So he has something better than just killing you. He offers a new life through the Holy Spirit. So your flesh doesn't physically have to die in order for you to experience this new, forgiven, victorious life in Jesus. Your flesh doesn't physically have to die, but your allegiance does. Your allegiance does. Your dependence on the flesh does. Your trust in the flesh needs to die. Your siding with the flesh needs to die. Your doing the will of the flesh needs to die. That's what dies. Anytime you have a desire to do what's right, get this, to, to anytime you want to honor God, anytime you want to 
serve the Lord, that comes from God, the Holy Spirit. It's born of God. And it proves that he is with you and he's fighting for you. He's prompting you. He's ministering to you by the Holy Spirit. He's putting godly desires inside you. He's putting that desire inside you. So, then we get this argument between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. It's here today. And we're going to learn how to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Then there's no more argument. And this all happens in the mind, the brain. Jesus tells us that this is where the battle rages. Jesus, But Jesus gives us a solution to this problem, his trump card that beats all other arguments. And his magic card, his solution is himself. Himself. It's what beats all the arguments. It's what silences the flesh, himself, his life, his death, his love, himself, all of himself. Our text for today is Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives us this list of things to meditate upon. Your life is really about what you invest your heart in. What you, what, that, that's what your meditation is about. You spend time thinking about what your heart desires. You really like um, cars? You probably buy a car magazine every once in a while. And you invest some time in that. Do you really like politics? You, you turn on the radio and you listen to the pundits and the talk. And you get really angry and sin a lot. If you, whatever your, your thing could be sewing. Your thing could be TV. Whatever your thing is. Whatever the heart desires. It's what we invest our time and our brain thinking about. We can meditate on anything. We can invest our love and worship anywhere. And Paul says here, we should choose to explore and adore things that honor God. Let me repeat that. We should choose to lo- to explore and adore things that honor God. Explore and adore things that honor God. And this is a simple list. It actually translates very well from Greek to English. We don't have to do a lot of explaining. He says, whatever things are true. But I'll I'll explain it anyway. (laughs) It's my job. (laughs) Whatever things are true, he says, meditate, invest in whatever things are true. And what's more true than the word of God? What's more true than God's love for you? 
The world is so full of lies and our flesh doesn't know how to figure it all out because we go through our life and we get the feeling like people don't like us. We get the feeling like we're not that valuable. We get the feeling like maybe I should die because that's what the guy on the road just told me as I cut him off. The world tells us these lies. But if we meditate on what the world tells us, we're going to end up feeling discouraged. But you meditate on what Jesus tells you, his truth, and what are you going to have? You're going to have joy. You're going to have value. You're going to have worth. All kinds of different good consequences from the truth. So Paul says, meditate on truth. Someone's telling you you're a loser? Look at what God says instead. Meditate on it. Don't worry about what your boss said. Whatever things are true. And what else is true? Anything Jesus said. Whatever Jesus said. Then he says, meditate on things that are noble. This means things that are honest or honorable, things that honor God. And this is what Jesus is. So the first part, meditate on things that are true, that's what Jesus says. The second one, whatever's noble, that's what Jesus is. You have an instruction here to meditate on who Jesus is. Second, or third, whatever's just. Meditate on what's just. That means right, righteous, or you could just say whatever Jesus does. Whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus is, whatever Jesus does. Third, fourth, pure. Meditate on what's pure. This is purity, like clear water. You don't want to drink water that's got some green floaty thing in it. I don't know what that is, and that's disgusting. Oh, you want clear, pure. That's what this means. And Jesus had no sin, so whenever you meditate on Jesus, you're meditating on something pure. You can't go wrong. There's literally nothing bad in meditating in Jesus. I love that. He says whatever's lovely, lovely, fifth. That's anything acceptable or pleasing, well, Jesus is the acceptable one. He pleases God. I love the image of hiding yourself in him, meditating on him, thinking, Lord, I'm just going to hide in you right now. I'm going to hide behind you, and I'm going to plead only you, Jesus. I'm, I'm going to be like the little kid fighting behind his dad's legs, and my dad's going to get you. Meditate on anything of good report is the next. There's anything that sounds right or has a good reputation that means ask people about your thoughts. Ask people about your ideas. Run it by some godly influences in your life. And most of all, ask Jesus about your thoughts. Hey, I have a thought that maybe I should kill myself. Jesus, what do you think about that? Well, son, daughter, I love you. I value your life, and I don't think you should waste your life, but I think you should pour your life out for other people for me, so that you can receive true rewards and riches at the end. Your life has value, my son, my daughter. Ask Jesus, whatever's of good report, whatever's of good report. Hey, what do you think about this teacher? What do you think about this doctrine? Let's talk about it. I've been thinking about it a lot. Let me think more about it. Let me talk to you about it. Next, virtue. Meditate on things that have virtue. That's moral, purity. Again, Jesus is virtuous. So you're free to meditate on him. Anything praiseworthy, he says. 
That means deserving praise. And only Jesus lived a life that deserved praise. He says, meditate on these things. Let your mind explore and adore Jesus every moment of every day. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Let your mind explore and adore Jesus every day. This is not just a mental exercise. I am not teaching you guys a psychological trick to get your brain to work or function better. Meditation is the whole person. The body, mind, and spirit, not just the mind. But the mind is the place it starts. Your mind is connected to your body and your heart. They're connected. When you get your mind working right, everything else has good consequences. It flows together. It's like a big boat. And we talked about this illustration when we first started Philippians. But your life is like a big boat. And your mind is like the rudder. And it can change the direction of your life when you start thinking right. It can change the direction of your life over time. Those big boats, they're directed by a really small rudder, and it can change the direction whatever way the captain wants it to go. And so, when you want to change your life, you've got to understand it's going to be slow. Those big boats don't just turn on a dime. They're, you know, they're just big slow boats. Start thinking right. Start meditating on the Lord, and you will see life begin to change. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says here, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is that whole life thing. Your boat needs to go a different direction. Present your lives a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's telling us how to get that life going in the right direction, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Your life is the ship. Your mind is the rudder. To honor God with your life, get control of your mind. Be the boss of your brain. You can tweet that. Invest your thinking energies on the person and work of Jesus Christ, and then test me. See if your life doesn't change. Open up the word, abide there, like spend time considering what Jesus does and tell me if it doesn't change your life. Every Christian I know who is on fire, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled, whatever you want to say, living a victorious life, every Christian I know, you know how it happened? They dug into the word of God. It never happened at a conference. It never happened at a party. It never happened at church. Everyone I ever know who has gotten on fire for the Lord, it happened when they, in their private life, started reading the word of God. And I can look around this room and point out, like almost all of you that I know that they did the exact same thing. And I also know in my life, you know, when I'm dry, and tired and cranky, 
It's when I'm not in the Word of God. My boat starts to go this way, and all of a sudden, I'm like, rah, 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 And then when I spend time with the Lord, something just happens in my heart. My life starts going a different direction. Praise the Lord for the, His ways, which are so far above our ways, right? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a fight. It is an argument, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. But spending time with the Lord kind of just wins the argument with peace and silence and rest. And it's not like I'm going to, I told you today we were going to learn how to have victory. And the way to have victory is not saying, I got to fight harder for the Holy Spirit. That never brings anyone victory. That never brings anyone peace and never brings anyone the Holy Spirit. God never said, look how hard this person's trying. Let me just give him my Holy Spirit now. Never once did God say that. He gives his spirit to who? Those who ask in humility and faith. Those who will just say, I'm done. I'm surrendering. Surrendering is a different word than fighting. And so many times Christians spend their lives fighting. I don't want to do what's right. I need to do what's right. I'm angry at this battle inside me. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to set up these boundaries. And I'm going to do all these things in order to do what's right. And God's like, when are you going to be done fighting? I've already won the victory for you. I told you how to do it, which is to spend time with me. Meditate upon the Jesus Christ. And I will change you. My grace will change you. Well, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Sound familiar? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Who is God? Jesus. So, meditating on Jesus works, he's saying. For pulling down strongholds, Yes, these are strongholds in your life. Yes, you have a battle. Yes, you have problems. But guess what? Jesus works. Those strongholds, those old way of thinking, the way you've grown up living and thinking, the way the world has conditioned you to think. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What does this casting down? Jesus, the weapons of our warfare being of the Spirit, not of the flesh. Bringing every thought, check it out, thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So this thinking lesson that Paul is giving us is something to obey. It requires obedience. When there's a a war going on and one side says, we're not as good as this other army that we're fighting, they will surrender. Now to surrender, what do you do? What? You hold up a white flag. That's the rule, right? Everybody knows that rule. That's the rule. Well, I don't like obeying that rule. I want to surrender, but I want to do it by shooting a gun at your face. That's not going to work. This army will have mercy on you. This army will not kill you. This army will actually 
make you citizens and adopt you. And oh my gosh, God is so good to his enemies. But you got to follow his rule. You got to obey Jesus's way, which is surrender. Come to him, confess your sin to him, and say, I'm done fighting. I will obey. Bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. We don't like that. We like to be our own boss. We like to think that we're in control. But God offers us salvation, and he requires that we don't be in control anymore. This is what being a Christian is. You give up control to God. Anyone who says, you can be a Christian and still do whatever you want, is horribly lying to you. It's not about that. Now, do you get freedom from sin and punishment and joy and everything that God could ever give you? Yes. But you must surrender to him. God, where do you want me to work? God, who do you want me to marry? God, what do you want me to do when I'm alone? God, what do you want me to do when I'm at work? God, what do you want me to do with my family? God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to consider it. And then when I hear the, right, when I hear the answer, I'm going to do it in surrender. Not in my own strength. I'm going to ask you for the strength. And I'm going to do it. We don't like that. When someone comes to rescue a raft at sea, and the person being rescued, they don't get to pick how the rescuing works. Oh, I would like a jet made of solid gold. I would like to stop on Hawaii on my way home. That doesn't, you don't get to pick when you're the one being rescued. They're saving your life. So what does this obedience look like? Well, in our book of Philippians, we studied this already. But just to review, let's go to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. And it describes Jesus learning this obedience. Remember, Hebrews says, Jesus learned obedience to the things he suffered. Jesus knows that this surrender is hard. Wide is the way that leads to what? Destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, salvation. Not a lot of people are going to choose to surrender to God. But it's a big deal. And in Philippians, Jesus even, he says this, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus is the picture and the example of how to obey God. He laid down his life. He trusted God. He surrendered. He surrendered. He didn't say, Lord, this whole cross thing, I got a better idea. How about everyone just worships me? How about I just appear to everyone in all my glory and everyone just worships me? All the nations of the earth. You know what? Satan actually brought that plan to Jesus. He said, Jesus, why don't you skip the whole cross thing? 
I could give you all the nations right now. I could tell them all to worship you right now. How's that? Saves you the cross, the time, the effort, the pain, the suffering. And Jesus said, no. God's will is the cross because only through the cross can he actually forgive men. There's no shortcuts. It had to be the cross. There's no way God could say, ah, you're forgiven. Boys will be boys. <laughs> Come on into heaven. No, because then God would cease to be God because he'd be letting imperfect sinners into his perfect heaven, violating the whole thing. He can't do it. We would stink up the joint. So Jesus said, no, my father's will is to purify children is to save them, really save them. And the only way that can happen is my death on the cross, and I'll surrender to that. I'm going to read you a quote from someone much smarter than me. You're like, all your quotes are that. Well, yes. <laughs> Alan Redpath. Redpath, great guy, great guy. Listen to this quote. Apart from the, a mighty awakening and revival in the church, we are fighting a losing battle because we are resisting on carnal levels. This is not something you settle in a denominational headquarters or in the high courts of the ecclesiastical world. It is something you begin to settle here and now and causes the tide of the Holy Spirit's power and life to flow once again in the church, which has been blocked because we as individual believers have rejected God's principles. In other words, he's saying, you want revival? You want God to work in this world? It starts with you spending time with Jesus, you loving him. Here's a practical example. When, I hear someone, when you hear someone say something bad about you, the carnal way to handle it is to attack back and to defend yourself. But the spiritual man can use the truth to be obedient. You say, well, what this person said about me may or may not be true, but it's not 100th as bad as I really am inside if they only knew. That's what the true spiritual person says. <laughs> so you respond with grace and love. Oh, you know, I, I didn't really do that, but I love you. I'm sorry for however I've hurt you. And I'd still love to be your friend. We have to think Jesus. We have to let his truth govern. We have to obey that truth. That's how we obey. We act like Jesus by asking Jesus to strengthen us to act like Jesus. It's kind of weird how it works, but that's how it works. Thoughts of lust, thoughts of anger, thoughts of fear, thoughts of greed, bitter thoughts, evil thoughts, they're a part of all of our lives. But all those thoughts must be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, should you let Jesus be the Lord of your thoughts? 
Someone might object, object. Some people might object and say, I don't want my thoughts to be captive to anyone. I don't want my thoughts to be captive to Jesus. I want my thoughts to be free. Yay. That's what this world is really big on right now. Individual, your thoughts are valid. Your thoughts matter. Your thoughts are important. And this is wrong on at least two points. First, You belong to someone else no matter what. Ultimately, you serve Jesus or you serve Satan. Period. You don't serve Jesus, you serve Satan. But I don't even believe in Satan. Too bad. He's got you tricked so bad you don't even know he's there. Second, if you're a Christian, you are a purchased possession of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6 puts it this way. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this mind takeover is not optional. This thinking Jesus, it's required of us. Every single Christian think Jesus. It's what we have to do. Let's read our text one more time. Let's go back to it. In Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and saw in me, these things, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We must make meditation a regular daily part of our lives. Open the Bible, read a text, connect it to Jesus, believe his promises, and worship him and thank him. The only real problem here is this. What about the times when I can't think about Jesus because I'm occupied with another task? How many of you have had that thought? I'm at work all day. I can't think about Jesus the way you're talking about. This requires all my brain, all my effort to, to, oh my gosh, it's so much. I got to work. I got to move beer from one place to another. I got to lay tile. I got to fix people's computers. I don't don't want to make fun of anyone. (laughs) Your jobs are all very important. And get this, God, Jesus, thinks your jobs are very important too. This is a a big problem. I mean, we, we really think this, and I'm not saying it's an invalid thing, but God knows and God understands what you what you have to do. I've wrestled with this for years, my friends. Here's the answer, though. Jesus loves you. You've got to be at school, but Jesus loves you. He is not holding this over you as a requirement for his love. I'm only going to love you if you think about me all the time. He loved you first. This is an invitation 
to dive into his love and experience it on a daily basis. You don't have to sleep in, do you? That's always the catch. I didn't have time to spend Jesus today. Oh, okay. What time did you get up? Well, I get up really early and I go to work. Okay, what time did you get home? What'd you do? There's always time. And if you don't have time, quit your job. Make time. Your job's not more important than your time with Jesus. Oh, maybe you need to change your career. Whatever you think Jesus is telling you to do, you do it. Oh, well, I got to spend time with my family all the time. It's these dang kids that God gave me. I can't spend time with him. I got to spend time with these kids. No, you're a terrible parent when you do that. You're a terrible parent when you go to your kids and try to love them without the love of the Lord in your heart. You can't do it. Well, it's church. I'm always at church. I'm always serving the Lord. Get out of my way. I've met people like that. Believe me. Some people who work at some churches are the biggest buttheads. And you're like, bro, do you even spend time with Jesus? Do you even think, like, meditate on the Lord? Oh, I'm always too busy working at church. Terrible. <laughs> See, get this, though. This is the coolest thing. I mean, if you've forgotten everything I've talked about today, that's fine. But this right here is, like, my favorite part. The, one of the, my favorite things I've ever learned when you have to work, when you have to put your mind on other things, it's okay. God doesn't cease to love you. He takes care of the abiding nature of your relationship for you. It's a gift. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But I was a total idiot. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He will always take care of the abiding part of your relationship with him when you're away if you just love him. Now, how, do, how, does that, how does that work? Nathan, when you go to work, do you forget who Julie is? No? You still remember that you're married? Well, praise the Lord. You're not out there like, Oh, these computers. Oh, I love these computers. Oh, maybe they can satisfy me in my life. No. No. You don't forget. Why? Yeah. I don't know why that was a question, but... <laughs> Should have been more of a statement, but I'll let you guys fight about that later. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, the greatest thing is that God's married to us, and he loves us, and he knows. It's like, if you're the wife at home, would you tell your husband, you better be thinking about me all day, all day long, and if I come sneaking by, and I see you looking at that computer without my picture in front of it, superimposed, I am going to... Ah! 
No, you say, go have a good day at work. I'll be waiting for you when you get home, honey, with dinner cooked and the house perfectly in order and all pretty. That's how it works, right? Well, it's how it works in my house. I don't know. <laughs> Man, we think God is like, you better think about me all day long, you know. He, he's, he's just like, I'm just in love with you. I'm married to you. I'm going to be watching your foot lest you stumble. I'm going to have angels around you. If you I'm going to be helping you throughout your day. Anytime you want to take a break, I'm there. Call me, cell phone, text me, whatever. That's how we pray. I'll be there. I am there for you. It's not the other, you're not here for me. You've already made me happy. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give you grace. Yoke to me for my burden is light and easy, and I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'm not demanding, but I do require you to surrender to this way of life. Surrender to saying yes when I ask you to marry me, when I ask you to bind yourself to me, when I ask to save you and say, would you just love me and I want to be your God? Yeah, that's how it works. He knows you need to think and work. He simply asks that you return regularly to him and abide with him often. He will sustain you while you're busy. And so there is never an excuse to burn out, friends. Jesus is not putting it on you. It's so sad when people burn out because they didn't tend their relationship with God first. They thought God had expectations and busyness that, oh, if you don't get these things done, you're not pleasing me, and I got to get these things done, and I got to do my job, and I got to do all these different responsibilities before I take care of my relationship with God. And it's wrong. It's a lie. You can love your spouse passionately while you're busy at work, right? while you're changing diapers, while you're writing a report, you can love. In fact, it can be very true that absence makes the heart grow fonder. This is not unrealistic. The most, it's really the most practical way to live. Work hard, take care of your family, pour your life out for others, but then retreat each day to your quiet place. Draw near to Jesus and let your mind explore and adore him through his word. Can't do it without that. The argument in here today, this is the argument. This is really it. We don't feel like it's necessary to invest such time into the relationship we have with Jesus. We don't all feel the absolute necessity of investing our minds on Jesus. We're like, I got this figured out. I know Jesus is God. Why do I need to go to him every day? I already believe. Isn't it all about believing? I agree. But Nathan, if you were like, hey, Julie, I'll see you in two weeks. I love you. How would that go for your relationship? Or how about two years? What are you going to do for two years? I don't know, whatever I want. We're still married. I still believe in you. Well, great, honey, but you suck. Get back home and help me with life. And I love you and I want to spend time with you and you're terrible for leaving me. 
right? And not the response you would get. Amen, brother. We don't feel like it's necessary with God, though, sometimes. We feel like we can just go days and weeks without conversation. What do you have going on that's more important or more wonderful than Jesus and his love for you? Nothing. He literally created you and then gave you life and forgives you all of all your sins. Nothing else in your life matters. I don't care about your job or your school. My job is to tell you to spend time with Jesus because he loves you. Now, I'll pray with you about everything, and I do care, but... Shh. Jesus is your life. The only purpose that you have, really, is to honor God and glorify him. Everything else is a waste, a total waste. And you can do this, you can honor God and glorify him while you're serving others, while you're taking out trash and changing diapers. You don't need to quit your job, you just need to abide with Christ. Stay close to him and you will naturally keep his commands and love others the way that you should. Your boat will be going the right direction. Because in your quiet times, you're redirecting constantly. I repent, Lord. I repent. I repent. I line up with you and your word. Lord, you look so perfect. Lord, look at you in this scripture. Look how you do this scripture. Look what your word says here. And you, you dive into that. You adore him and explore him. It gets your boat going the right way. It's called the victorious Christian life. And it's available to every one of us today. There is no argument. You are good enough for the life of Jesus to dwell in your heart. You're worth it to him. We're going to end with one scripture. If you would all stand with me as we read this last scripture, which is Colossians 3, 1 through 3. We're going to close with one song and communion. So there's Communion over here, which is a wonderful chance for you to solidify everything we just talked about, surrender to the Lord with everything we just talked about, confess your pride and confess your unwillingness to listen in times past. But Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are Above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you believe that? Jesus, you change me. Every time I think about you, Lord, you change me. And Lord, when my relationship with you becomes dry, I know, I know, I know that it's my heart that has grown cold. Because the, the ardor of your love does not ever dim. Your passion for me never, ever gets less. You would literally die on the cross again if you needed to. And I do not deserve your love. And Lord, nothing else in my life matters. My life is hidden now in you. Lord, we are going to hide now in you. 
We're going to retreat into the walls of your love and in relationship with you, we're going to explore and adore. We love you, Lord. Forgive us for not loving you the way we should. Bring revival to our city, Lord. Use us to be bold to share your gospel, to invite people to church and to share your word with people. Lord, we are all so unworthy, but yet you shower us with love and attention. You give us all your time. You're willing to hear our thoughts, our cares, our worries. And Lord, you're so willing to give us grace. Jesus, as we turn our mind towards you through communion, Lord, I pray that you fill us with your love. Help us to feel loved and know that we're loved.